The following is not intended for younger audiences. The opinions expressed do not reflect the views of the podcaster's employers. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy Two Dudes, One Double Feature. Welcome! Uh, welcome everyone to Two Dudes, One Double Feature, the show in which two dudes talk two films, and that is about it. I am Dude One, Richard. And I am Dude Two, Joe. And we are in a post-100 episodes world on this show. That's right, we've hit 100 episodes as of last week. If you have yet to check it out, Please give it a listen. It's all about the Before Trilogy. It's still pretty crazy to think about that we've gotten that far. Um, and it's exciting that we've achieved such greatness, I guess. <laughs> it's nice. It's a nice thought. But now we're in the next hopeful batch of 100 episodes, uh, starting with this first one. This is kind of like a new episode one, if you will. This is year two season two in a different context sort of thing and we're starting off of course with one of our favorite seasons on this show halloween which if you've listened to our show before which means we dedicate an entire month to spooky double features all kinds of fun stuff and we got a lot of great lineups including uh, a listener suggested one at the towards the end of the month um but before we get into any of that today how you doing joey how you doing, dude, too? <sighs> Not bad. Um, it feels like a long time since we last recorded one of these. Um, yes. And truth be told, truth be told, it's been at least over a week now, right? It had to have at been. This... It has It has to have been like two weeks, because I think, because we recorded the 100th episode in advance. That, and we also, I wanted to add, um, in addition to um, our spooky month, we do have a, a special episode also coming out Um in October, it's a, a single film. Uh, you know, we might bring it up later in relation to one of our films tonight. But um, I'm doing okay. I mean, we the two of us just got back from Disney, which was um, it's it's you know, been a week, yeah. At this point, it's, it's officially been yeah. a week. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I I can't speak for you. I had fun. <laughs> <laughs> um. If I had to describe our trip to Disney, this this third trip we went on, um, I think the perfect word we we used a lot on the trip is sitcom. <laughs> yes, yes. It it was it was because here's the thing: like this whole trip was in many respects like it was planned, right? Because it started off. Um, Joey had just gotten back, like, this was probably, I don't know how long, how long ago after your last Disney trip did you tell me about this one? I don't know. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> I have no idea. maybe let's say, say like a month, maybe a couple months at best. Um, you had mentioned that you were going to Disney with your brother, your mom, and you were going to meet up with a, your mom's friend or a friend of your mom, something like that. Something like, yeah, something like that. And. And then as time had gone on, you know, there was some kind of questions in the air about whether or not anyone else wanted to go, like if it was even going to happen until eventually it got whittled down to literally just being a trip for you and me. And 
then it got to the point where even though it was planned, everything sort of happened like maybe within a two week period before the trip was supposed to happen. <laughs> yeah, like we booked our tickets and flights and park reservations in a, a very shortly before our actual trip. Which my my body, uh, in retrospect, was not a fan of that idea. <laughs> I I I was a living embodiment of exhaustion, probably almost dehydration, just because I was not physically in any way, shape, or form ready to be going to a trip to Disney. But I did it because I wanted to, and I wanted to hang out with my friend because it had been I think it, it had been over a year at that point since we'd seen each other in person. Yes. And mm-hmm. so I was like, you know what? I'll just I'll just endure it and do my best. Um, I will be I will definitely be a chain uh, <laughs> wrapped around Joey's ankle in some respect, but I will do it as best as I can. Um, but yeah, I mean, you weren't so bad as far as that that was concerned. You held up pretty. I mean, at least as far as I could tell, <laughs> you know, I I hold I hold in stuff pretty well. I think. But uh, I, I think you do. Not that I want you to do that, but I just like I think that's always been the thing with me with vacations is like I always even though I shouldn't apologize for my my own like physical well being, except for like if I don't take care of myself, then it is my fault. But mm-hmm. um like in many in many vacations I've had, like, you know, I've gotten sick or I've gotten overworked and I feel like I just ruined the trip for everybody else. When in fact I shouldn't feel like that. <laughs> I should just be like, you know, I'm just glad to be here. I'm sorry if I'm ruining anything, but I'm here. <laughs> I'm doing my best. Um, like yeah. I, I, I remember after going to New York, I think the second time when I was hanging out with you and I brought my friends with me, I got sick on the last day because like New York in August, like who that's, that could kill you. Dude. I remember when I get, cause that was when I got, I had to get my mom from grand central and Oh man, I just remember walking through the streets of New York, like feeling just like the embodiment of sweat. <laughs> like I'm pretty sure, like the percentage of water that's in my body left. <laughs> it's just gone now. Yep. But that's kind of that's kind of what happened with this trip. So I got pretty exhausted, but I went. And I had a good time, but there was just a lot of like little moments that just were like kind of weird but like in a memorable sort of way like um one incident uh which i think we'll talk about for the rest of our lives was uh the first day right the like the first official day we did three parks which was already kind of an insane endeavor i think um Mm -hmm. and we did we we didn't do a whole hell of a lot of rides but we did a handful of rides and attractions um and we finished a lot of shopping that day. Like we spent an ungodly amount of money that day. I bought an eighty dollar hoodie and a two hundred dollar lightsaber. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we went to because the last park we went to was Magic Kingdom, and one of Joey's all time favorites is Carousel of Progress. And I'm I'm always willing to go on it because I just like I just want to make Joey happy. So I'm like, yeah, sure. Um, so I'll, I'll sit in it and I'll enjoy myself. Um, and the thing was we got stuck on the first scene in almost six different performances. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So like the turn, so if you don't know carousel progress, basically like, you know, 
it's about the American family through the 20th century. And the first scene is at the turn of like the, you know, from the 19th to the 20th century. We saw that scene five times and they kept making the announcement. <laughs> Please remain seated. <laughs> what, what was even no funnier one, about no that was no that you were mentioning. <laughs> like, no, not in no. our theater anyway, but you have, no. you have to keep in mind. There's other theater. There are other theaters, and like True. as you're seeing one part of the show, other people are seeing another. But the funniest part was the last was the last tri- because you you brought up from the last trip when when they were like uh, please remain uh, please remain seated and it interrupted the performance completely. <laughs> I I I think I told Joey I was like like this will only be worth it if we did if that happens over the intercom again because that happened the first time the last time, and it happened at least three or four times and there was a point like at then sort of in the middle of the sixth go of that first scene someone got up and opened the door and was like coast is clear let's go <laughs> and everyone just left <laughs> oh my gosh and joey joey being joey being the good boy that he is stayed um until a cast member came by so i respect that and i stayed yeah i would have left though admittedly <laughs> oh, I believe it. Yeah. I believe it for I, sure. If it was just me, I would have been like, "Latest, latest job progress." Um, <laughs> latest gaitas. <laughs> but um, so a cast member eventually came in and said, "We're so sorry, but yeah, you guys can leave now." <laughs> but mm-hmm. like the the funny thing too is like we're all just kind of like, "What?" Because <laughs> it just kept going and going. Because I mean, what else yep. is it gonna do? It's not just if it stalled, that would have been like hysterical. Like if it just didn't say anything after like. But I yeah. know one person was having a great time. <laughs> Listen, uh, here's my thing. Like, because on my last trip, I was thankful that Carousel Progress was the only attraction I did more than once. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I, I, although I did want to go on it this time because they actually changed the outfits of the characters in the final scene, and I wanted to see that in person. But never did. You know what? I have this memory <laughs> now. Never did. But never did. I have this memory now. Um, but, you know, that was a fun night in the Magic Kingdom, though, because we got to do People Mover, and People Mover is mm. always just a great attraction to do. Saw Tron in person, finally. It looks nice. I'm very excited for it. Mm-hmm. And then, like, it just seemed like each night had some sort of kind of weird incident or some sort of situation. So, like, the second night had to have been um, the uh, the Ratatouille situation. Oh, yeah, where, <sighs> yeah, I feel so bad about that. <laughs> but at I least, don't, I don't, at least the ride wasn't bad. In... No, it's a good ride. It's just like Lightning Lane is so gross. <laughs> like just seeing all those people funneling in for Lightning Lane. And I'm like, bruh, there, how many people, <laughs> it almost feels like there's just as many people in the Lightning Lane as there are in the there, standby there, line. There literally was like looking back, like we're, 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 getting closer to being inside the building at this point and we're looking back in the lightning lane and it's literally like all the way <laughs> past us it's, and, and we also uh, uh, made a conclusion that while the area surrounding gratitude is nice the queue uh leaves a lot to be desired it's gray wall after gray wall and then like every now and then like oh there's a there's a portrait there's a painting yeah. And, like, I just remember the people behind us going, what's around the corner? Oh, it's another gray wall. 
They were they were I, I, they were talking about like X Men stuff. I, I kept listening to what they were talking about. <laughs> like it was like because the whole the whole thing started off because there was a sixty minute wait for Ratatouille. And Joey's like, I, I I really want to do Ratatouille, and I'm like, all right, let's do Ratatouille. And, we and got 60 to the... minutes for that ride isn't the worst. Because it can no. get to like 75, 80, 100 minutes sometimes. No, it didn't seem like it was that bad. But then it immediately went from like 60 to like 75. And then to uh, 80. And then it just kept going and up, going up. And then it just kind of like leveled out at 100 minutes. And the lightning lane had just gotten so huge following that. And so we're literally just like when we finally got through the like maze of grayness, um, where all we kept hearing was like French music, and then "Hi, I'm Remy's brother. Let me tell you about safety." I'm <laughs> 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 like, listen, as much as I love that movie, as much as I love those characters, like that ride made me sort of despise Remy's brother a little bit. Not that he deserves it. But <laughs> I'm like, I don't give a shit about. <laughs> don't shoot the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> like I hate you. Why did you do this to me? But um, but no. Like we finally got on the ride. It was a fun ride, admittedly. I liked. Um, I think my favorite part was when, even though it kind of malfunctioned, I liked when uh, we got to the bit when Remy shoots a cork at you, and then like. You know, mm-hmm. you get shot with, like, champagne or whatever. It smelled like alcohol. Like, it smelled like wine, which I was like, wow, that's actually kind of... Like, also, I was thinking, like, as a kid, like, oh, what does that smell, Mom? Don't worry about it. <laughs> or, 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 like, Dad, this smells like you. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I thought it was a nifty uh, addition to the ride. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Did, how long was the the Millennium Falcon wait when we did that the first like with your aunt and uncle. We waited a long time. Well, I don't remember okay. how long that one was. Two it was like two and it was like two hours at least. But like the, when we went on opening day to Galaxy Edge, I th- I think like it must have been at least two hours. Mm-hmm. Two out you said two hours? At least. I know when you and I did like single rider, it was like what was that, about like forty minutes? Yeah, it didn't. It didn't last very long. It we we got there pretty quick, and we got to ride together. Yeah, no, that's always fun when uh, when single rider works out like that. Um, I wish I honestly wish Disney had more single rider rides. They don't. How what what rides are single rider anyway? Falcon, Rock and Roller Coaster. Which honestly, Rock and Roller Coaster. Whenever I do single rider, ends up being just as long as Standby. Like every time. Um, what was it expedition everest which has the best one because i literally get on within like two seconds i got richard like as soon as i left you i went through the queue and i got on like 30 seconds it was like the best normally i'm sitting there on the rock waiting for you like for at least a good half an hour but then you just showed up i was like oh all right let's go (laughs) like i was almost tempted to just like miss you completely and just go on again oh (laughs) that would have been me i was almost oh I was almost tempted, but because I, I got off so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! But um, I think was it uh, was it Everest Falcon, Rock and Roller Coaster Test Track, which I don't always do Test Track. You know, it's fun, but it's, it's there. I don't like it as what. Yeah, it exists basically, but yeah, yeah. If you like cars, I guess. Beep, beep. If you like, if you like, if you like vehicles, uh, the car variety. Um, vroom vroom. <laughs> <laughs> isn't that a isn't that a slogan for like an ad 
<laughs> like some sort of ad campaign. See, uh, vroom vroom. So I go, yeah, I think so. And I go, uh, see, I go zoom zoom zoom. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! But so those were sort of specific things. Then we had, obviously, you've seen in the news there was Hurricane Ian. And um, this is the second time. You know what was funny? When I got back mm. home and my first day of work was Saturday, um, everyone everyone was like, how was Disney? I'm like, it was pretty humid, but I had a good time. They're like, why do you keep going during hurricane season? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this is when they invite me. You know, it's, it's not a bad time, except for when, you know, there's a hurricane. But... Yeah, that, that that's that's the thing. Yeah. That's the it's thing. It's kind of the only thing. Um, but this was like the difference between Dorian and uh Ian was that Dorian swerved. Um mm-hmm. but with Ian, like it, it, it hit dead on. And I felt terrible too because I remember you had to change your flight twice, which I did the last time, but I felt bad because my flight got delayed to pretty much at the time you were supposed to leave. So you probably could have yeah. left and like if with that second ticket that you got. So I was like, oh, that sucks. So we had we had Ian. To, thankfully, we got out um, before it hit and it did hit. And so obviously to anyone that, that dealt with that or is dealing with that still, uh, sympathies, uh, condolences. Uh, if you I would say if you could send some money to them, they could probably use it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But like for that last day, that Monday. So like that was magic kingdom day but there was also sort of like a an urgency because you were leaving like you had to leave at like six yes and um then it started storming uh but that's that's sort of a different thing but like there was sort of a sense of urgency to sort of do as much as we could at magic kingdom so we did we did five attractions which was because normally through the whole weekend we did like maybe two or three in the morning we'd get some to eat do a couple more, get lunch, maybe go relax, and then come back out and do some more stuff. Um, yeah. And so for this for this day, we did five. We did Haunted Mansion, Jungle Cruise, Pirates, Tiki Room, and Country Bears, I believe. And then I did Space Mountain. That's right. You did do Space Mountain. That was the last one. That's probably the one I forgot to wait. I, that's nice. You didn't go. But... But like you know, it was only it was like a like again like a fifty minute wait. I'm not I'm not I don't want to pay Lightning Lane to get on Space Mountain. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I don't I don't think anyone's gonna blame you on that one. And again and again that one uh, that the, the funny thing with Space Mountain also speaking of single rider line is they tell you hey make sure you let the cast members know you're a party of one which I did which helped out a lot. But it's one of those things where I wish it had a single rider. That's the one ride. That's the one ride I really wish it there was. Probably could have been like, for. <laughs> dude. That, that would be a problem because I'd just be in Tomorrowland all day, and I'd be like, well, <laughs> you know, I'm here. Might as well go on Carousel Progress for a sixth time. And I would just be sitting on the bench with people keep continuously coming over and like sitting next to me and just like, hey, and like I had people pushing me off the bench. I'm like, come on, really? I'm, st- I'm still here. <laughs> like, like they kept scooting yeah. over, and like, uh, although I gotta say, I, I gotta say, there was a lot of unruly behavior, like more so, more so than I'm typically used to on my trips. Yeah, there was there was some unruliness. I think it's just the the whole weekend was just kind of hectic. There was one, there was one incident that I do want to talk about, only because it just I feel like I have to. 
I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Probably but not, no. <laughs> there will be some context. There will be some context. So um, every so often, Joey sort of goes into autopilot. <laughs> I don't know. Are you aware of this? I am. <laughs> okay. I just want to make sure. <laughs> so, yeah. so Joey will go into autopilot. Like a small example of this will be like, and he knows I, he knows I hate this when this happens, but, um, um, so like, uh, we're, we'd be talking on the phone or something and, uh, he starts going on Twitter and then nothing else in the world exists except him and Twitter. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And like I'll start, I'll instigate a conversation. I'll be like, you know, no, 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 and he'll be like, mm-hmm. and then he'll send me a tweet. <laughs> so, so this happens every so often. And in when this, when I first noticed it, I wouldn't call him out on it. But in recent years, I've been like, are you on Twitter while I'm on the phone with you? <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, I, I try to make my case known. That's the best I can do. So, <laughs> so, like, so Joey kind of, like, he goes into autopilot sometimes. And so on Monday, after we got back to the room uh, from the Magic Kingdom day, there was already some sort of, again, there's already some sort of urgency because obviously Joey had to leave earlier uh, in the evening. And I'm sure there was so much more he could have done, but I was just too tired. And I, I was like, I'm sorry, I just can't, you know. And so we went back to the room, we had some lunch. And then it was quiet. <laughs> it was quiet from when we got to the room to maybe like. 30 minutes not 30 minutes maybe like another hour before joey had to leave and i'm like i don't know what to do <laughs> so like like so like and i know joey went to autopilot because he starts listening to sports stuff on his phone i'm like wait huh <laughs> like okay. uh, 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 all right okay and then and then he starts watching this red red letter media video but he acknowledges me in this instance because he looks at me while he's watching it to see if i'm reacting i'm like i'm not watching it i don't know what's going on <laughs> i don't know what to, i don't know what to say i don't know what to do <laughs> And like I was so nervous to say anything because I don't like confrontation. I don't like be I don't like being confrontational with Joey. I just I just don't want to. Gosh. But, but I knew I had to say something, but I didn't until eventually I was just like, I'm just gonna fold my laundry and see what happens. <laughs> and he finally says something, and I'm like, and I think I think it was. He's like he he I think he said like wow or something. I don't know. Or I said like was that all one video? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's it yeah, the public now knows how great of a friend <laughs> I, friend I, am. I don't mean to be like that. I don't mean to to like Listen, call you out. You know what but... I think it is? You know what I think it is? I just can't spend time with people <laughs> for very long. <laughs> Even people I like. <laughs> I can't. The thing is, I can't blame you for that. People suck. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and I think I think that trip. I, I think I felt more like woofed 
than than other trips. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely felt like <laughs> it's just it was painful. Like, admittedly, because like I I think of this trip compared to the last trip, and like I I had new shoes. I had been working out for months, uh, or at least doing endurance tests on myself and um Mm -hmm. it got to a point where i was perfectly fine more or less this but then this trip like i was dead (laughs) i I couldn't i couldn't move i couldn't breathe i couldn't exist uh in florida (laughs) i couldn't do it and then it just and then it was just kind of sad because like at the end of it you know it's just this really quiet moment and i was like i don't know what to do but then thankfully we had a nice little moment we went out on the balcony we kind of soaked in because we were staying at the grand floridian which was absolutely beautiful except for at night when it was scary (laughs) and um and then there was just worry because obviously at that point it started you know storming that lightning i don't know if you agree with me but that lightning was fucking terrifying and it wasn't even Ian that lightning. Was, that was scary. But what was funny about that was that ha- that did nothing to my flight. That wasn't <laughs> the thing. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> no, like it te- was scary. But, but, but it- you had a shitty flight experience, and I want you to talk about that. Okay. I know this is going on long, right. but I, it needs to be addressed. Uh, is there anything else that you want to address before I get in, into this? I love just because I do want to get That's to it. get to our. <laughs> I just love you. I just want you to know that. <laughs> I appreciate that, Richard. You know what? You know what you are, Richard? You know what you are? Okay, yes! <laughs> Achievement unlocked! I just I just took out a DVD copy of the cinematic uh, experience known as The Brave Little Toaster. Um, but anyway... So okay, my this is my ultimate like change flight, and I had to I had to fly out of a fly into a different city in New Jersey than the one I you know flew out of, mm-hmm. um, and I was waiting for my flight, um, and I, I first off I got to air, like basically got through TSA at, like seven something whatever, and they're like it's gonna um the flight the plane's here it's gonna be ten fifteen minutes um because the the pilot saw a light. I'm only doing that voice just because uh, I'm just so irritated. Yeah, so I, insult yeah. to the actual person. No, no I got um, you. But like, okay, that passes and it goes. Okay, it's gonna be another hour, and it, like, they need to, this. This is more extent something extensive. Okay, and then what happens is, um, the people at the desk at the at the check in desk left. They're gone. They just abandoned um, you guys. They abandoned us. They no. We were never told by verbally by these people that um, that our 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 gate was changing. So not only did we have to like change gates, we had to go on the monorail that takes you to the terminal back to the main area. We had to go through TSA again with a skeleton crew of TSA people, and um, we didn't end up taking off until midnight. Um, That's gnarly. And we also had to scream. We had a screaming two-year-old on our plane where the parent, after a while, parents, like, people were complaining because, you know, again, everybody's freaking tired. And the parent's like, you know what? I hope they keep screaming. And I w- I'm i just like, my God. Like, <laughs> sitcom. 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 Um, sitcom. Sitcom. And I didn't get, really didn't get home till like, four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Um, my, my flight got delayed by, like, four hours. So, like, I was, I was in the air, I was in MCO from literally 6 a.m. till about like 
two or three, which isn't like that bad in comparison to my flight only got delayed a second time by like 22 minutes. Um, I think, mm-hmm. I think the worst thing that probably happened was, uh, actually, I don't even know. I think, I think I lucked out in comparison to you, honestly. Cause like I got, I got home relatively fine. Um, the plane coming was coming straight from Cleveland, practically empty and the crew was already there. So we didn't need to like do any exchanging out or anything. So it was, I was just grateful that mm-hmm. we were able to get out of there because again, especially with yep. Ian hitting Florida, hitting Orlando and like, like parts of parts of the, the areas around, was it the Reedy, the Reedy Creek area that, that the, mm-hmm. the whole place is in mm-hmm. like parts of that got flooded. Like I remember seeing whole bits of like the boardwalk was still like submerged. So yep. like, yeah, it, we we got out in the nick of time. But like, sadly, some people didn't have that opportunity. So I I send well wishes once again to all those people. Right, but it was okay. it was an absolute sitcom. <laughs> yes. Um. Now we get to the the grand event. I think <laughs> unless there's anything else that you want to bring up, I got nothing. <laughs> no. Um. So anyway, uh. I feel like in some... I don't know if this was one that we had planned for a long time, but it feels like that one that's been in the works for a while. It's It was... I think it was, like, written down somewhere, and then it was like, we'll get to this eventually. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of... Yeah. I'm always one advocating for silent movies on here. Uh, if you don't know, uh, I used to do Silent Film Saturday. Um, There's one guy that messaged us on Facebook that knows that. <laughs> There's somebody on Facebook that knows that, and it's one of those things where it's just like... I, I, I don't have time to do that. I barely have enough time to do this show, honestly. <laughs> so it's like, you know. Um, but anyway, um, you know, I'm always advocating for silent films. And I think the, the especially the silent horror films is, is a great opportunity to really explore that. And um, I think uh, I think this is like really one of the best examples um, of that. And uh, that being uh, the 1920 film... The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. There's the, the, the noise doesn't really show up in the movie. I just thought I would do that. No, 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 it does not. Um, but yeah, Cabinet Cabinet of Dr. Caligari um, is definitely a movie, definitely a very noteworthy movie in film history and especially horror film um, history. Uh you know, German production, uh, Robert, I believe Robert Winan, uh, did, he was the director and, um, this is what now listen, like I'm going to like, this is silent film Twitter. Okay. Which I am somewhat a part of somewhat, um, somewhat, somewhat. <laughs> well, I don't interact with it, but I, I view it, you know, and there's you're, always you're people, spectator. there's like people who are like, I'm a spectator, but there's, but there's always like, um, I always got to give credit um, to Movie Silently, I think her name is on Twitter, because um, she's always, like, calling out BS, and there are people who will say this is the first horror film ever, and it's like, that is not true. That doesn't make sense. But I think part of the problem lies in the fact that, listen, for one, a lot of these things are lost and hard to access for a that's, lot of people, that's true. or they're not in places where people want to access them, and... um in addition to that, because of like the way we, like film education is, this or Nosferatu um, 
are probably the like the only like like silent horror movies that people watch. You know what I mean? So it's mm-hmm. like a whole like almost quarter century of of movies is is ignored just just because like this is easier. I mean, you can get this on Blu-ray and Amazon right now or you can like stream it on YouTube or whatever. So um it's kind of it's kind of a weird thing, but that said, it is undeniably a very important film in the yes. history of horror, in the history of silent film, especially uh, German expressionism. Now, you and I talked about, um, we talked about Nosferatu for a special episode that we're going to put out this month. Yes, and I think the most striking thing about it is how, like, just this, like the the how much more like theatrical and exaggerated the sets are in Caligari versus Nosferatu. This is kind of a prime example of that whole German expressionism thing. Like when when mm-hmm. people think of that term, I think it immediately goes straight cuz like there's like there's there's like a trilogy that of movies people think of. That's this Nosferatu and Metropolis. It's like different films that sort of encapsulate what people mean when they talk about German expressionism, but I think this one from a visual standpoint really emphasizes that because a lot of it is about just like like the sets as angular and as distorted and sort of like it's not meant it's meant to have like a dreamlike quality but an uncomfortable dreamlike quality like you don't look at anything yeah. and go like oh wow look how beautiful that is you look at that and you're like i don't that doesn't make sense this this hurts me a little bit <laughs> and that's kind this of is, this is very weird <laughs> that's that's kind of the point you know um when you when you look at the sets in Caligari like everything about them they're immediate and, and the way they're presented too because the whole movie is told f- as a story because the the whole it's about this guy like having a conversation with another guy about this weird woman that he says is like his fiance or his lover or whatever and he proceeds to tell him the story about this traveling uh uh mountebank uh carney guy called dr caligari who has this like uh, fortune-telling somnambulist named Caesar that, you know, people ask, you know, well, how long do I have to live? And they'll, he'll, like, say, until morning, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so he proceeds to tell this story about Caligari, and when it transitions to the story, like, everything ex- is exaggerated. Like, the whole town that is this film is set is, like, it's almost being, like, imagine, like, a painting perfectly done and it's sitting on top of water or like like one of those uh uh what do you call it like when uh baristas make like a like a latte for you and do those little leaves like imagine a spoon went in and swirled it around (laughs) that's kind of what it looks like and like that that emphasizes like everything like from the furniture to even like some of the aspects of the clothing like the hats are all kind of weird in this yes and that's and that's again to evoke that feeling of like where am i like you ever have those dreams where like you like everything just looks off and you're like what yeah it's you know it's it, it just that that aesthetic is is so like influential and again it i i think like, there's it's definitely filmmakers that like sort of you have used that and still use that today mm-hmm. um i think i think about off the top of my head like tim burton you can argue how the success of the, of of his technique, but again, you can uh, maybe you can maybe a hot topic. <laughs> but again, it's one of those things where you know, um, would hot topic exist if it weren't for Caligari? <laughs> no, it wouldn't. 
<laughs> well, I feel like maybe not, in, in, maybe indirectly, like created Hot Topic. Like, you know what article of clothing from Hot Topic I think perfectly encapsulates uh, uh, German expressionism? Those incredibly baggy pants. Do you remember these from like from like sort of the early two thousands? These incredibly large baggy pants. They're not like bell bottoms. They're not just like baggy jeans that were popular in the nineties. These are like if you took two blankets and decided to <laughs> sew them into legs and then you put yes. belts and zippers and chains and anything you could find it's like it's like you look at these pants and you're like how does these pants exist like that's kind of what the point of germany it's like how does this exist and yet it does mm -hmm. yeah right i agree with that um what was I going to say off the top of my head? Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I just think that that style, like I even think about um, uh, Conrad Veidt's character, the Sonambulist, the murderer, um, you know, I've heard Cesare, I've heard Caesar, whatever. Uh, Conrad Veidt, he's got the heavy eyeshadow. It's a heavy, in, heavy, it's like heavy, heavy eyeshadow. Um, <clears throat> and like Conrad Veidt, again, this is somebody who's, who's coming back to our show because we've talked about him, of course, as Jafar in The Thief of Baghdad and as Major Strasser in Casablanca. Uh, he, he's, he's really good at playing villains. Um, he is. Honestly. And he's, he was, he's very creepy in this one. <laughs> I think, yeah. I think you described him as goth Timothy Chalamet. Goth Timothy Chalamet, <laughs> who literally hasn't seen the light of day in like 12 weeks. Like imagine, um, uh, his his character in Dune, but like with more makeup on his face. <laughs> the the one scene that it always gets is like when we see him get the one girl, mm -hmm. um, and I I think about the, his expression where where he's like he's attacking her and it, it almost he almost looks like a vampire, like like, his, like the like, way ooh. the way his mouth just like it, I know it's, it's not which is. Which is funny you say that because I know mm. Richard's gonna be so annoyed when I say this. He played uh, Gwynplaine in um, The Man Who Laughs, uh, a Universal horror film. But Gwynplaine in uh, The Man Who Laughs, which was a inspiration um, apparently for the character of the Joker, which you can totally um, see, especially when you look when you look at the early in when I look at the early incarnations of the Joker, it like that version honestly creeps me out. Because cause it, it does look so much like um, uh, the Jack Pierce makeup for Conrad Veidt's character in that movie. But he's great. Uh, Werner Krauss. Um, I want to give a shout out to Werner Krauss um, as the t the titular doctor. The doctor that is Caligari. The doctor that is that is Caligari. I think you described him as like a Danny DeVito <laughs> lookalike. He he makes me think. I mean, for obvious reasons, but he makes me think of Danny DeVito when Batman Returns. Uh, and which um, which again, I I wouldn't be surprised if that was like a direct reason. I mean, yeah. Max Shrek, who's not in this movie, but like he's in Nosferatu, <laughs> and guess what? There's a character named Max Shrek in Batman Returns. Exactly. So I just imagine. <clears throat> Tim Burton, like he didn't want to make a Batman movie. He wanted to make a German expressionist uh, uh, <laughs> tribute tribute flick. <laughs> I mean, funny enough, like the end of uh, his first Batman movie is meant to be like a direct inspiration from uh, uh, what's it called, uh, Metropolis. Yes, I remember you telling <clears throat> me this, and I definitely see it. 
so like like in in the whole world of Tim Burton being like the the sort of modern interpreter interpreter of German expressionism like in some instances yes I think I I can see like in his work how you would apply like properly German expressionism but then there's like times I see like other things and I'm like I don't know if it matches as well like like I think of like like no. Nightmare Before Christmas I think isn't a great example of it even though like it's everywhere and like mm. but like i don't really feel like uncomfortable i guess i feel confused so no maybe. i mean especially especially now that nightmare before christmas has sort of become like the the mcdonald's um <laughs> the burger king <laughs> wendy's ification of Halloween and Christmas. It's the one way you could celebrate both holidays for everyone. And Disney's like, all right, let's get some money off this. And, and Disneyland puts in the, um, the, the, uh, the, the Haunted Mansion holiday, which is influenced by, by that movie, which uh, look, I've seen videos of it and it looks cool, but I would hate to go there during Halloween. And I want to have something that's actually scary. And I just see, like, basically just a few steps above Spirit of Halloween, like, product. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah. Well, not, not even just in terms of, like, because it's well done, but I mean, just, like, just uh, Nightmare Before. I'm just so over that movie. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> it's, like, it's one of those. It, it's, I, I, I don't mean to sound, gotten... like, so mean. Like, if you like it, fine. <clears throat> but, you know. No, I, I get it. Like, it's just it's just gotten so, like, crammed into people's faces over the years. But... You know, it, it would if it wasn't for this movie. <laughs> well, listen, you got to you got to take you got to take the good with the bad. There and, you go. Um, and I'll and I'll take this movie. It is a great movie. I thought the 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 intertitles for this movie were fantastic because they continue because a lot of intertitles are just like generic and they just look pretty, you know. But this one is really unsettling and it continues the aesthetic the german expressionist like aesthetic it's like jagged like there's like jagged pieces and the font is all weird and and even like so much so like because the font is so big at times that they have to like scroll up which i don't think i've ever seen it doesn't it doesn't always happen unless it's like the opening of like a movie usually you don't yeah. see that unless it's like like an act like an opening of a film um yeah but this movie, like, like the the hats are weird. I think the performance style is more exaggerate is exaggerated. Like, it, there's just something a little off. I think about the carnival scene, like where you see like the carnivals in the background, and you see like the carousel that's like tilted. It's like going sideways. <laughs> it's like, oh man, that's that's wild. Um, I think one of my favorite things is like there's like the outside, and it's just like a painted set of like really fake. <laughs> it's trees like it's almost like it's it's insane like like i love i love the bit when they're walking through like the the shrubbery quote unquote shrubbery mm -hmm. <laughs> but like they're having to like mm -hmm. walk around it kind of because it's like oh well there's a bush there so i can't <laughs> yes <laughs> you know there's a bush i can't do it um mm -hmm. but what i think is kind of cool is that this leads into i think to an interesting aspect of this movie as well is that even after it's revealed that all of this is kind oh, of we should we should say we oh. should say spoiler alert as well for this one right. I, I normally I don't worry but I we uh, love yeah, this yeah. but continue I'm sorry Richard yeah. I, it probably no, no, isn't no, necessary it's a good point though it's a good point though 
it's it's good that we do that like spoiler alert just so you know mm-hmm. um so I'll, I'll start like this okay so this movie has a plot twist and the plot twist is yes. that maybe none of what happens in the film actually happened it's kind of it's kind of like you know people sort of credit it it's funny you know people seem to think this is like one of the first or the first horror movie but like i if i remember reading that might be one of the one of i don't know but one of the first movies to have like a plot twist where like it's certainly like an as far as like older movies are concerned it's certainly like when people think of like old movies with a plot twist this is certainly one of those yes yes so like Basically, because the whole movie is framed around uh, our the sort of central character telling a story, um, it, it's it's revealed that he's a patient in this insane asylum, and all the other people in the asylum are the people in the story. So, like you see Conrad Veidt as the as Caesar, the somnambulist, but he doesn't look nearly as scary. He still looks terrifying, admittedly, but he doesn't look as scary. And then potentially. Um, potentially the main villain uh, Caligari is actually just the head doctor of the whole thing but what I like about the sort of question mark you can put on this is that the sets are still weird so mm-hmm. like like that could that could have been unintentional but I look at it as as a way of interpreting that is it real is it not we don't know Everything still looks weird and angular and still kind of messed up, but you know it is shown that a lot of what he's tolling might be false. So there's that sort of unreliable narrator aspect to it, which is really cool as well. But like, you, it's 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 again, it's the whole point of is that you just don't know, but you're just entranced, but also yeah. kind of terrified and un, and confused and uncomfortable. But that's kind of the point that the movie evokes with with its style and its aesthetic like it's really it really is a movie that um to use a guillermo del toro word uh eye protein as opposed to eye candy mm-hmm. like i feel like you feel like it looks the way it does for a reason as opposed to just looking the way it does not that there's anything wrong with something looking good for the sake of looking good but you know when there's a little bit more like weight to it then it's just it adds more to the experience no absolutely and i think that's a great observation about like even even in the real world quote unquote mm-hmm. even in in the framing device things still look off and uncertain um you know again like i know we talked about this briefly with nosferatu but like the uh, caligari like hitler and uh from caligari to hitler um book i'm sure like i didn't look too much into that before this but you know there's obviously research into that and just german like cinema in that weimar republic era you know that's just kind of like there's a lot of like unsettling things like obviously nosferatu is an example metropolis again like you said those sort of a trill those loose trilogy of those Mm -hmm. um those three very influential films um i just i i think it's just um, visually, it's still really cool and uns- like I think the image of Caligari carry not Caligari, sorry, um, Conrad Veidt's character, the Sonomulus carrying the girl up like the on the rooftops, is such a startling like image. It just stays in my in my head. It's one yeah. of the images that I, I always yeah. take away from like this era. Absolutely, like there's there's a lot of striking imagery with this movie that. 
and you know what i was mentioning this too when we were watching it that it like i don't know like i mean it could have i think this movie could work if it was like a more modern film but i think the fact that it is a silent movie sort of emphasizes its own like nightmarishness because like you know obviously no one's talking all it is is music you just get this really weird text that's still in german too so we have subtitles on subtitles um mm-hmm. and uh like it's almost like you're seeing it through your own eyeballs and like your brain is just sort of making it up as the movie goes along and it it really adds to the like because i remember the first time i ever watched this i was like this is so unsettling <laughs> and maybe not entirely as intended because obviously at the time that's just what they could do that's just how they could make the movie but like from like a retrospective like modern point of view it's like you, you almost watch it like whoa mm-hmm. it's it's yeah. scary <laughs> No, but I think about that with that and, like, early sound horror films. Like, I think about Dracula, where there's no sound, um, and you have somebody, like, Dracula, like, Lugosi Dracula, just staring at the camera, and there's no, like, sound or anything to offset that. It's just you with that imagery, and that, in some ways, I think is is just more unsettling and more terrifying uh, than what people, I think, would give it credit for, Um you know, I still think that this this could be a, like an effective movie, even taking out like, oh, it's a movie from 1920, and this is over a hundred years. I think this is, is this the oldest thing we've talked about on our show? Possibly, yeah. As far as, as far as like a main feature, because um, that would make sense. Because um, like 1920, over a hundred years ago, and I still think this. Even watching it with you, I, like watching it with somebody, I was still like scared watching this movie. <laughs> <laughs> like like could you imagine like if anything like I, this is a terrible thought to have and i don't want to put this out into the world but like one of my my biggest fears is like if something bad happens like at my house while i'm watching a movie because i'm so focused on the movie right i'm like nothing else around yeah. me matters yeah and like the worst thought would be like if you're watching something that's so unsettling or like making you uncomfortable or sort of scared and then something happens like if someone was standing behind me right now you know I would be like, See, this is why I'm, tur- I'm turned right now a little bit, and I'm just like making sure nobody comes in. It's just like I don't know if anyone else ever has that feeling, but like if I like I I just imagine like if I'm watching um, Caligari and like the shot of like speaking of uh, staring into the camera, like um, Conrad Veidt like slowly opening his eyes, and just like the way like because it's old film and it, the way it looks. And then someone just happens to be like coming in, you know, like just like Randy and Scream, like turn around, Jamie, turn around. (laughs) Yeah. No, you know what movie I always I always have that fear about is Halloween. mm. Um, Halloween because like again, like you know, my my neighborhood not not doesn't look exactly like Halloween, obviously, but like you know that suburban you know area and you're just like you know oh this can happen mm. <laughs> this could happen Which, here again Ra- um, Ra- randy was watching halloween <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I don't blame you at all but i can imagine watching uh, like caligari and just being like nah i'm gonna shut the door no <laughs> uh, honestly uh, honestly like if you watch this like if you were watching this by yourself at like midnight i, I could see you just being a little unsettled um 
just just because the nature of it. Mm-hmm. But um, I think this is just an incredibly amazing, amazing work um, from 1920. You know, I think the performances, it just, there's this unhinged, like, exaggeration, even from the characters who we think are normal. Yeah. <laughs> it adds a whole other layer to the, a whole other layer to the experience. Um, of course, Werner Krauss, um, looking like Danny DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just great. That's, I, the 10 out of 10 it's, for me. <laughs> It's it's and then of course of course um, always great to have Conrad Veidt return to our program like showing that he's just really just such a great villain in things <laughs> like man I, that's why I want to talk about man who laughs because it's like I want to have him as a good guy on our on our show <laughs> we need, for we once. need one hero performance one. he needs redemption <laughs> he needs redemption um do you have any other thoughts on this movie. Um, I'm glad I watched it. Uh, <laughs> it's like, I mean, like just in general, I mean, I'm glad I watched it. Cause this wasn't, I don't think this is one of the movies that I learned about in school, which is funny. Cause like, mm-hmm. this is one of those movies that typically is learned about in school, but we didn't learn about this one. Um, and so I was glad that I watched it on my own and you know what? Like her, like, like him or hate him. If it wasn't for me being a Tim Burton fan, I probably would never have watched Caligari. Yeah. So... You know, there's, there's that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, anyway, Richard, we're going to take a brief, uh, brief intermission. When we come back, we're going to Detroit. We're going to talk about a story. <laughs> we're going to Detroit, but we're going to talk about a story about a boy and his bird. How touching. <laughs> Stay tuned. Welcome back to Two Dudes One Double Feature. In our last segment, we were hanging out in a really uncomfortable area of Germany <laughs> with uh, some doctor and his lanky friend. Yeah, <laughs> always happens. You know, we've hung out with doctors and their short teenage friends. So <laughs> it's the ideal comedic duo, Richard. It's just listen. That's a buddy comedy if I ever saw it. But now we are heading to Detroit in the in the in a very distinguishable 90s by the way like there's no question that this is not the 90s this is the only time this could have been made the only time this could have been made um so we're heading to detroit uh to celebrate devil's night though not as violently as it normally is celebrated um joey what is this film we are talking about today we are talking about the 1994 adaptation of 
the crow. I don't know how crows. There you go. Do not mourn him. <laughs> the crow, based on a book, based on the based on the book Push by Sapphire. <laughs> That is an old reference for you. Tale as old as time. <laughs> do, 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 do. I'm going to talk about Eric Draven. Do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. He's friends with Ernie Hudson. <laughs> Who doesn't want to be friends with Ernie Hudson, though? This is true. This is true. Though, uh, we're going to have to do a direct apology to Wikey and Feehan. We talked about two Ernie Hudson movies. Neither one of them are Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> I'll 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 let you take care of that. I'll do that. I'm just That's gonna fine. be like, eh. it, you know, <laughs> like, sorry guys. I guess we'll talk about Ghostbusters eventually, but we had better options first. It's it, it's just really funny because it, it it'd be like, okay, I have this show. I'm gonna talk about a Lon Chaney Senior movie. Oh, you're gonna talk about the Fan of the Opera? You talk about Hunchback? No, I'm gonna talk about uh, the Scarlet Car. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I just told you. <laughs> yes. Um I had never seen this movie which listen this is if if there's like a movie that I would classify as not exactly the most mainstream thing yet like I hear a lot of people love this thing The Crow is very high up on that list. It's it's uh it's sort of one of those like prime examples of like a even though it was successful when it came out, it was it's still kind of like a cult classic. Yeah, that's what because people because people are like, oh, it, it can't be a cult movie if it was a hit, and I'm like, I don't know if I agree with that because I think American Werewolf is sort of like a cult movie because like it's it's yeah. people know it, but it's not it's not the same thing. No, but th- it actually did surprise me to read that this was a hit though like looking at this movie i mean i'm not surprised that people love this thing because honestly i loved it when i wa- when i watched it yesterday but it's one of those movies where i'm like i could have seen this flop as well <laughs> i mean there was just a lot going on behind the scenes we'll talk about that obviously in a in a bit but you know the fact that this movie because you got you got to remember too like in this era of the 90s this is a post batman 89 and the thought process behind like furthering you know adaptations of comic books wasn't so much hey let's adapt uh like mainstream characters like let's do wonder woman let's do spider-man let's do fantastic four i mean there was ideas out there i'm sure obviously from different creators but like the mentality more or less felt like hey let's let's do these like really obscure comic book characters that maybe feel like they're in the same ballpark as as batman 89 so like we got dick tracy we got the mask we got spawn we got the shadow like like these are like not that these characters aren't great but like people probably still like even today like how many people know what dick tracy is outside of the 90s movie probably not and even then there might be people go wait there was a dick tracy movie in the 90s or they'll be like (laughs) his name is dick (laughs) <laughs> did you bring out the rocketeer when you were um no but that's a good one though i think i think that's that's that oh, i hold that close to my heart but um yeah but like like it was just this trend of like adapting these sort of more and it, it makes sense from some a certain standpoint because batman is more of like a pulpy inspired inspired character versus some of a lot of the superheroes but 
at the same time, it was just sort of like a weird direction. And, you know, it's it's hit or miss. There's some that were really good. There's some that were not as great. Um, But this is one of those movies, The Crow, that it was very much in that post-world. And there's definitely influences to certain respects from like a Batman 89 or even like a Blade Runner sort of situation. But, you know, The Crow... Uh, as a comic was this like super super underground sort of thing like that this guy james obar uh wrote and drew out of just this really traumatic experience of losing his fiance and they decided to turn it into a movie the guy that did i robot of all people (laughs) yeah (laughs) the guy that did gods of egypt of all people uh decided to adapt this movie and uh, this was one. This was one of those movies that kind of stood stood out amongst the pack um, for a many a reasons. And you know, I you watch it today, like this for me is like because I've seen this movie so many times at this point. Because I first watched it in like I think like early two thousand, maybe like late two thousands, early two thousand ten, somewhere around there's when I first watched it. And I was always in, I was always interested by it, and I just remember like being kind of like whoa. Like, what is this? Mm-hmm. Like, because it really is like it. It's like a '90s music video wrapped up in a in a like. There's like this feels like like the most prime example of what an underground comic or film could be in many respects. Like, and not and it's not even just from like the aesthetic aspect of. There's a lot of like grunge rock <laughs> in the film, but like there's just so much about it. But I'm really curious because, unfortunately, we didn't watch this one together, and that really bums me out. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Y- yesterday was just a lot, and I'm just like, I know we also needed to like get on track with this stuff. I forgive you. It's okay. Thank you, thank you, Richard. <laughs> it's, it's, Appreciate it's fine. Appreciate that. Um, I was admittedly bummed out because this is a movie I really wanted to watch with you, but I didn't make any indication. I was like, oh my god, this is super important. I could have, but I didn't. You know what? It was funny watching this movie. I'm like, because I know you hold Batman 89 very much near and dear to your heart. And I look at this movie and I'm like, you know, it's one of those things where, like, I wouldn't have been shocked if, like, in an alternate reality where this was the movie that changed (laughs) everything. And at the first time I met you, you were just, like, in white face paint like the long hair and just you're just s- you, speaking oh, in poetry my, my name is richard <laughs> my name is richard draven like it can't rain all the time <laughs> <laughs> no this i love this movie dearly but you know i i was at least happy that you ended up loving it because there was definitely some nervousness about that because mm-hmm. I was, because like I do know, like some people look at this movie and it is, it is too much. Like it's, it's grungy. It's, it's very like underground rock and roll sort of thing, and it is kind of a music video. And I know that's make or break for some people, but I was happy that you ended up really liking it. Maybe think of a grungy Flash Gordon, where, um, like that's a good thing. Then <laughs> uh, this is like this is great because I'm like I love the hero. I love the hero. Like he's got a clear like screen presence. Uh, Brandon Lee, may he rest in peace. Fantastic. S- what what a superstar, right? Ugh, like man, the fact that what happened happened like makes it that much more painful knowing how good he was in this movie. But also just like like I've seen interviews with him and he seems so he seemed so altruistic, so 
like humble and like I remember like I might have shown you like there was a whole interview where they were talking about like the legacy of his father because he's Bruce Lee's son yes who mm-hmm. also died very tragically Ugh, man and there was always like oh it's the the Lee curse it's like it's just unfortunate situations yeah and he I don't remember what the answer was but he gave such a like poignant like beautiful answer to that question and like it made me love him more as a person it's just so much more tragic that he's not around but it's it's one of those things where like he's so fantastic i love the villain i i love um the ba- the ba- oh. michael wincott is just mm-hmm. well michael wincott and the bad and and the goons and his weird incestual relationship with biling <laughs> Dude, Michael Wincott's voice, though. Like, dude, and Tony Todd is there, and we all know Tony Todd's voice. Like, is beautiful, man. Beautiful. Um, I can't, like, I think this is the first time we talked about Michael Wincott as, like... Outside of, like, maybe just mentioning we watched Nope. But other than that, yeah, this might be the first time. I always love him. Um, I love him in um, The Three Musketeers, the Disney one. Mm-hmm. And I also love him in Westworld. Because he's, he's, um... Yes, he's the, like, drunk, like, robot or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Shall we drink to the lady in the white shoes? <laughs> <laughs> I always say that line. It's one of my favorite, like, random lines in anything. But he also has some of my favorite, like, line deliveries. Like, I love when he goes, he winked at you? Musicians. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, there's some of that, like, kind of humor. And then you have a character like Ernie, like, Ernie Hudson's, like, <laughs> like cop character. Which it, he just, just doesn't. He's like he's just like I'm. I'm curious what's going on here, but like I don't want you shit. <laughs> like, like he feels like he's a, it's supposed to be in a completely different movie, but it works. Like his chemistry with with uh, Brandon Lee is, is really great. I liked his dynamic with the um was it Sarah, was Sarah the um Sarah the little kid yeah the girl um like I, I like the hot dog scene was fun. The onions make you fart. D- yes. Um, but like, there's all these like we like weird, interesting like individuals and visually, like I said, it's like the grunge like Flash Gordon because they're just music video stuff going like, on like every scene. There's like Hulk. There's like whole concerts in two separate scenes of the movie, mm-hmm. and because um, like uh, the main sort of villainous layer, if you will, takes place in like this uh, bar that double or like a like a concert hall that doubles as a bar or whatever. Yeah, and um, the villains sit on top of that. So periodically, when we're going to see Michael Wincott and uh, Bai Ling and their weird ancestral thing <laughs> they got going on, like I love what he's. I love what they're like. He's like, "That's your sister, father's daughter." That's right. What's the matter? You don't see the resemblance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's so many great. There's so many great characters. Like the core gang is just colorful. You know, like this weird, like warrior style, which is funny because I think like the guy that plays T Bird is in the Warriors. Yes, but uh, that whole gang is just so fun, especially uh, Skank. He just talks like this, T Bird. <laughs> I'm getting you, man. Dude, but I think one one of the funniest things also, um, we also have some more like uh, two dudes um, alums on this one, uh, John Poli- uh, Polito. Who's in this movie? He's also in the Rocketeer, right? And the, f- the funny thing is, I remember him the most from this, even though I've seen Rocketeer. But like his character is oh, so he's prominent. great in this though. He's so like oh, other than that, not a terror shitty night. <laughs> <laughs> if I wanted ice, I would ask for ice. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Oh my god. <laughs> 
but like what was great too is like when um when james obar was drawing the comic he actually envisioned that actor playing oh really playing gideon yeah so it was just oh. great that he was like i'm down <laughs> that that's fantastic uh, that man that's fantastic um no but like the i like the whole I, I also just want to mention too because i didn't say her name before um uh rochelle davis plays um play sarah in this who who's sort of like a bookend narrator kind of one of the more emotional cores um of of our story and that worked out a lot better than i thought it was going to because i was watching i'm like oh gosh i could i'm like because i know this is a beloved movie and i'm like oh this is where some people are like i don't care about this thing at all (laughs) but you're like oh sarah Oh, Sarah. Sarah. I, it was so sad when she's like, I'm not never gonna see you again. And I'm like, oh And he gives her the the ring or whatever, right, at the end of the movie. It's beautiful. So like I wanna talk about the story a little bit too, because this is kind of a wild story. There's a big a bigger connection um than I thought there was going to be with our last movie, but please continue. Yes. So the story is essentially it's uh it starts off with like a prologue it's devil's night now if you don't know devil's night it's actual thing that happens in detroit i don't know how prominent it is now because i mean we don't obviously i don't live in detroit joey doesn't live in detroit so we don't know but like i know mischief night (laughs) yeah mischief night that's basically it that's it that's like one and the same you know so mischief night devil's night so like they they there's fires, there's destruction, it's a lot of chaos, and it happens usually the night before Halloween. Very much appropriate for this time of year, as far as movies are concerned. But it is something that actually does or did happen. And um, so, One Devil's Night, uh, this, these five gang members, T-Bird, uh, Tintin, Skank, Fun Boy, or four, I believe, sorry, not five, four, um, they break into this uh, beloved couple's uh, apartment building, uh, our main characters, Eric Draven and his uh, fiance Shelly. And uh, I apologize if this tr- is triggering at all, so just warning on that. But uh, uh, Eric is shot and thrown out of a window, and they perceive, well, and then uh, Shelly is raped and beaten to death. And so. That's tragic enough. So then one year later, uh, for some reason, uh, Eric Draven comes back to life um, and becomes this sort of like, imagine like a rock and roll Grim Reaper. (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of what he is. uh, And probably more charismatic in in that regard. And or, or I was also thinking about um, I was thinking about Heath. Imagine if Heath Ledger's Joker was an avenging good guy. <laughs> it was an avenging good guy who shopped at Hot Topic. <laughs> who shopped at? There's a lot. There's some like more similarities with those two. <laughs> also, and there's the line that Michael Wincott says where he's just like, "I wish you didn't phrase it that way," or so, or something like that. And he lets yeah. her lets her go, and I'm like, Christopher Nolan, I see you. I see you now <laughs> after 14 years. I know what you did. Even just the fact there's a whole, like, scene where, like, he breaks into a meeting of gangsters. Yes. Mm. Yes. Mm. Yes. Mm. Yes. <laughs> Christopher Nolan's just like, all right, um, the only way you're going to get me to make another Batman film is if I'm able to basically make a shadow remake of The, of the Crow. Just let me do it, please. Let me do it. And then, and then um, some other guy with Bill Skarsgård is like, nah, we got it. <laughs> 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 so but anyway so <laughs> so um eric draven comes back to life and he puts on he doesn't call himself the crow 
but that's kind of his persona. And he seeks out these four gang members to exact revenge on what he did to not only himself, but more specifically to Shelley. Mm-hmm. And along the way, he re- he reconnects with Sarah, who was uh, a neighbor kid who would hang out with Shelly and Eric all the time. They were very close. Um, and he would connect with Ernie Hudson, who was the police officer on the case of Eric Draven's and uh, Shelly's death. And uh, he would actually even he actually has this ability, I guess, uh, where he would touch things and then he would get the memory back or he would feel what happened. Mm-hmm. So like when he first enters into his apartment building, that's where he sort of relearns about himself and relearns what happened to him that he was shot and killed and thrown out of a window. And like he, I remember. Oh, I remember the bit when he's in Gideon's and he finds the ring. Mm-hmm. Like, ugh. <laughs> or like, or like when he touches Ernie Hudson's head and he gets like all the memories that he has of seeing Shelley in the hospital, and you're like, fuck. Mm. So, so that's something that he that he utilizes periodically or has that he has. To, it's kind of a curse for him initially, but then he uses it later in the film. But. uh as he's exacting revenge, Michael Wincott and his gang, who's not originally in the book, by the way. Hmm. Fun fact. Interesting. Um, but I'm glad he's here wholeheartedly. Because the book is more the book is more like a, an amalgamation of poetry with like moments in a weird way. So there's a story, but it really is like a like a a, a release of just tragedy. And then this was sort of more streamlined into a, into a narrative. But um so yeah, so that's essentially what the overall story is. Is Eric Draven as this sort of gothic Grim Reaper sort of guy, um, tr- exacting revenge, but also like because he's exacting revenge, he's getting the attention of other people, and oof, and they start to learn a little bit more about how he's able to do what he's able to do, um, and it's it's just it's a it's a ride honestly and it's it's such an interesting film for so many different reasons and like like we were talking about like brandon brandon lee uh is an absolute legend in this film and and ernie hudson is great just i'm just i'm just happy for this movie to exist as 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 tragic as everything was that that led up to its release yeah it's it's kind of um, crazy because I remember because the obviously the reputation of this movie is uh, that un- that unfortunate, extremely tragic um, event where you know he was killed on set. Um, but like it, it's also crazy too because I feel like the movie works really well. Like, and that's not to say like like I'm just saying like, I was just, I was honest that was the thing I was most taken aback by. I'm like, wow, this was like. Because because today people talk about like all, all these movies that get reshot and they have to get rewritten, reshot, and all this other stuff, and I'm like this this works pretty. W- I don't know if I could have told this was like completely like not right. it wasn't complete. Well, they had to spend another eight million dollars, you know, reshooting things for this movie, and I thought it worked out pretty nicely in that in that respect. Like there's there's moments you're watching it, and you could be like, oh, maybe this was reshot. Like there's clearly moments where you don't see his face or but they but i think what what's probably great and maybe this is a credit to alex proyas um but you know there's a lot of creative decision making mm-hmm. especially in a in a time period when you know there's not like technology where they can use like old footage or use like this or that to make something work you know there's no de-aging factor there's no uh 
no, there's like you can't you can't bring Peter Cushing back at this point in uh, technological cinema history. Um, but what they were able to do is they had a creative workaround, and I, I I just remember thinking like the whole opening sequence when he's in the when he's in the apartment and you don't really see his face again after he's been re uh, animated. <laughs> Right, and uh, finally, when he puts the makeup back on, that's when you see his face again. Right, and I almost like I don't know if that was made like that because of that reason, but it works. No, yeah, and it, there's like a there's like a suspense, there's a build up to like when he finally emerges as the the crow. I do want to touch on the tragedy also, just because, um, and it's relevant. Um, it's relevant also because it hap- it it's it happened again recently. You probably heard about the Alec Baldwin Russ situation, but it's basically the same thing. Yeah, that like it, it, it's honest. It honestly amazes me that that that's it. That can happen again, mm-hmm. especially after what happened to Brandon, because like basically the the whole thing is like in, there was a scene where he was. Uh, I think it was even during the scene where he's like being shot by the gang, the gang members. I think it was the actor that plays Fun Boy that pulled the trigger, mm-hmm. and um. There was, I think they switched from one type of ammunition to, like, blanks or whatever, and there was, like, a projectile lodged in the barrel, just like with Rust, and and uh, Brandon Lee was shot, point blank, and uh, no one really knew what was going on, but then he, you know, was bleeding, and he collapsed, and he went to the hospital, and unfortunately, he didn't make it. And this is, this is the importance of, like, workplace safety stuff. Yes. Um, yes. I, was listen- I was listening to... Um, was a junk food cinema and they talked about the crow and they were talking about like the workplace safety element of it where it's like even like a really like low budget thing also like the rules have it where it's like okay if you want to see what's inside the gun you can just so we can prevent yes something like this because you know it, especially it, sorry I don't mean to interrupt but like no 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 please especially especially because like the whole there's a whole plot element of the movie where um the crow is immortal mm-hmm and so they demonstrate that various times throughout the movie because he's shot, he's stabbed, and he can't die. And that's and as ironically tragic as that is, like that's yeah. the, that's that's just the the crux of the that's one of the one of the aspects of the film. So and though oddly enough, this is a scene that was supposed to be like one of the more tragic scenes. And so when we get to that moment, and you know he's actually shot and he's going to the hospital, like. You know, like, I can understand why James O'Barr, who wrote the comic, would say, I wish I never wrote the comic, because, again, like, then there wouldn't have been an opportunity to make the movie about a guy who's constantly showing his examples of his immortality. Yeah. And so, like, if if that, maybe if that wasn't a story aspect of it, or maybe it wasn't as constantly happening in the film, maybe it wouldn't have happened, but, you know, what happened, happened, and... It's something that I think needs to be talked about more, and, and the fact that it had to become part of the discussion again because it happened again is fucked up. Like, oh man! And again, also too, like the Dark Knight comparison continue there too because, like, not that Heath Ledger died on set, but like you know, his passing obviously was a huge part of like people talking about you know about that movie. And then with with the sequel, Dark Knight Rises, there was the tragedy of the Aurora shootings. Yeah. So there's kind of a connection there, but like, we have gun problems. <laughs> like, this is what we're leading to, but it's an important thing that needs to be addressed. And, um, in the case of like movie, like 
there's so like there's so many th- thing elements that come into play when creating a story for for film which means because some of those aspects in some cases all those aspects are incredibly uncomfortable there needs to be safety there needs to be like intimacy coordinators there needs to be yeah people always on like the props and people making sure that none of the people in the film or involved with the film get hurt no i i agree with you 110 percent just not to completely like change topics but like you know who did the cinematography for this movie i don't remember off the top of my head darius uh darius wolski um now he's done the pirates of the caribbean um the pirates of the Ca- the first four actually pirates of the caribbean movies he's worked with ridley scott a couple times including a movie you and i both enjoy the last duel you know what the guy's got a great repertoire because he's had some he's made some like really great looking movies and this movie like this is just this this movie's at least for me maybe it's like an old man thing i don't know but like they don't make comic book movies that look like this anymore and i hate it <laughs> no i don't think you're acting like an old man like at least as far as like and i don't even know if, if you made this this would be a hit today no that's the no, other no one no one would want to watch it because it'd be it'd like be a direct to streaming thing people would nitpick something. the hell out of it it'd be like why does this look like that this doesn't look like detroit I'm like it's not supposed to look like detroit it's a nightmare detroit <laughs> it's oh. it's it's detroit growing out of a freaking uh rock concert <laughs> everything's like on fi- there's fires I got at one point in the movie they're like, oh yeah, how many how many burnings have there how many fires have there been? They say like a ridiculous number. They're like, oh that that's gonna be shorter than last year or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but I also the other thing I love about this movie is this is the most like hardcore anti drug superhero movie ever. Like he like oh I love that whole I think that's one of my favorite scenes is the fun boy scene when he goes to visit him and I love his joke. <laughs> It's like Jesus Christ walks into a hotel. <laughs> he hands the innkeeper. He hands the innkeeper three nails, and he asks, "Can you put me up for the night?" <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> but I love that whole scene. But of course, now there's kind of a subplot. Speaking of drugs, there's a whole subplot with Sarah and her mom. Yeah. Now her mom in the film is dating Fun Boy. And she it does all types of drugs. She does morphine. Uh, she probably does heroin. Um, anything with a needle. Especially with Fun Boy, who's a terrible influence. Yeah. And um, she, because of all this, she completely neglects her daughter. Now, in the, in the scene with Fun Boy, like, uh, which I even love the bit when Fun Boy pulls his revolver out and he puts his hand on the barrel and he's like... Take your shot, fun boy. You got me dead bang. That, that That's such a um, Bruce Lee line. Like, I, I could, like, Bruce Lee saying something like that. <laughs> the apple doesn't fall very far. No, no. I'm like, wait, I got, like, a, wait, wait a minute. I, I don't look at, like, am I watching? Okay, I'm watching The Crow. Okay. Because like, that's the type of, like, deliver. like, I think about, like, his dad would do. I'm like, oh. Speak coach, we got to talk about Bruce Lee on our program um, at some point. For sure. For sure. I still have the set you got me. Uh, I know. For, was it Christmas or my birthday? It might have, it might have been your birthday, yeah. I think. Either way, it was a gift. Thank you. Uh, sorry to interrupt. I, I just, <laughs> that was what no. that popped in my head. No, but it, it's, it's important. Um, so after he deals with Fun Boy, more or less, he's still got more to do with him. But uh, he goes to the mob because he, obviously he knows it's Sarah's mom. And 
he says one of my favorite lines as well. He has so many great lines, and I think it's in the comic as well. I don't remember, but it's one of my favorite lines in the movie. Um, he's whole, he, he's like trying to, he, she's like obviously trying to defend herself because she thinks he's going to kill her because he's scary. But yeah. he, he holds her, he says, look in the mirror, um, and then he says, mother is the name for God on the lips and hearts of all children. Do you understand? And then he squeezes her arm and says, morphine is bad for you. And it comes out of her arm. So he's basically like, I'm giving you a second chance. You have a daughter who's constantly out on the streets. She needs her mother. Go to her. Yeah. And the, the whole egg scene is so touching in such a way. Like, because like, it's like, she's finally doing something. It's something. It's not, it's not like she's, she's just trying something. So she's making breakfast for Sarah and, and, and she, and Sarah's initially like, understandably so initially like, huh? Yeah. Like, what does it matter? And then, um, initially the mom's like, I'm going to give up. And then Sarah's like, no, no, I, 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 I like him over easy. Yep. And then she calls her mom and you're like, yeah, <laughs> it's a nice, it's a nice, um, it's a nice bit. Dude, well, it's also just crazy. It's just, again, Ernie Hudson in this movie to me, is like the <laughs> wildest, like everybody else makes sense. <laughs> and then, and, and not that I have a problem with Ernie Hudson in this movie because it works, but like, especially in the last <laughs> act, it becomes like, uh, I was, I was listening to like, um, Again, junk food cinema. There, it's like it's like becomes like a buddy cop movie. <laughs> I love I love the exchange. Like, uh, all right, so this is what we're gonna do. You're gonna stand out, take the bullets, and I'm gonna go around and arrest him. He's like, that's a great idea, but there's a problem. He's like, what? And he's like, he just shows him the wound. He's like, I thought you were like immortal. I was. I'm not anymore. <laughs> yeah, that was so great. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. But I think what's great about Ernie Hudson is is that he's sort of like the the conduit for the audience of all this weirdness because he's kind of like he's kind of like the average everyman sort of guy in the film like he is in ghostbusters which we'll talk about eventually okay <laughs> we will talk about it i promise but he's very he's very good at playing that he is he is very good i love i love his his not only his interactions with uh eric but i love his interactions with sarah because he 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 approaches her like a father figure like like a like a comfort if you will um like i love like you know he he buys her a hot dog you know um you know he's concerned about her skating because it's always raining but you know can't rain all the time (laughs) yeah (laughs) um but no he's he's got such a a great presence in the film i think my favorite scene with him outside like i love the when he first interacts with with eric um, after he's like become the crow and he comes out of Gideon's and he's like, uh, take one more step and you're dead. He's like, I'll take a step or like, or, uh, take one more step and you're dead. He's like, and then I say I'm dead and I move. <laughs> it's like, whoa. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I love when he, when he's in the apartment and he gets that memory of Shelly and they have that sort of like another like sort of buddy cop like sort of bro like connection moment which was such a great scene and you feel you feel because like again the whole the whole point of the movie is like tragedy and what it does to you and i think that scene is like a nice like encapsulation of that theme and ernie hudson gives such a great uh, performance and and a, a caring father figure, but also like every man, but maybe a little badass, 
<laughs> like I love his interactions with like the detective or whatever. <laughs> and like like he's like, what the hell would you call that? And he's like, I call it blood detective, but I think you might call it graffiti. <laughs> it's a uh, he's he has a lot of great lines. He's even got like some weird like sort of nice relationship with his ex-wife who's like the cop or whatever i think right and you're like like how could you not like ernie hudson this is very true oh man but yeah i'm just glad he's here because i think i think this movie works significantly better that he's here. yes 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 for sure um but going back to what you were like you because i remember you were saying like you know caligari in some ways is, is like a, like a serial killer it feels like because i know people attribute peeping tom as like the quote-unquote first slasher movie but i almost feel like this is kind of a slasher movie. and then i'm like think about this i'm like the crow is one of the few instances where like the slasher is the good guy slasher hero he's a slasher <laughs> it's all it, it's like um it makes me think of dr fives a little bit where he's like taking revenge on the people who wronged him except in that one fives is more of just a villain honestly mm -hmm. um but it's, it's vincent price you're like yippee <laughs> you're like i'm okay with this i'm okay with this <laughs> and this one like the, the the hero the hero is is uh is murdering <laughs> is, is killing these people <laughs> <laughs> like it because it also kind of makes me think of v for vendetta in the sense that because it's sort of a similar thing where it's like a villainous sort of character is 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 a sort of anti-hero but like yeah I think the difference is that because of the world the the crow exists in and the people in the crow, I think it, it's it's not hard to distinguish him as the hero. This is, this is true, um, but it also like goes to show like I, why this character and why this movie ha has such a like a loyal like fan base because that like I think people like sort of what you know for better or for worse they they you know sort of are like wow I wish I could be like that. As far as like, okay, this is a dude who who looks cool, and it, it's a vengeful thing. But he's he's you know he's a he's a hero in some way. It's, I'm not wording it properly. He's he he's he's good, sort of. He's like chaotic good. <laughs> yes, he's chaotic good. I think is a great way to put it. Honestly, uh, you, you know, like, uh, uh, and again, I'm like, it makes sense why people do. You know, and I love this movie, but like, why people have sort of like, there are people I know who have made this movie their personality. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is this is like like a boondock saints or like a yes <laughs> yes that's a good that's a good uh reference point too like it's just it's one of those movies that has stuck is stuck with people for so long like i still i still hear people talk about like the, like it's one of their favorite soundtracks they'll continuously listen to the soundtrack which is, this is a great songs in this um uh you know you can even see like influences like we were talking about like heath ledger kind of looks like eric draven like there's no question. I'm sure maybe at one point Nolan was like, "All right, what's the what's a good grudgy inspiration that is like clowny?" You know, there's that Crow movie. At one point, he does say he is a clown sometimes. <laughs> oh man, um, but a uh, great movie. Uh, this is, this is a fun pairing. You know, uh, fun fun pairing of like. These these weird like beloved mo beloved movies for different reasons, you know. Yeah. But also like visually like amazing like visually and some great performances in both, especially uh, from the late great Brandon Lee. It's 
again, just like every time I watch The Crow, I think I'm just reminded at how terrible yeah. it is that he's gone. Like, he, he's got such a presence. I, I'm just sad I haven't watched more of his movies that he did make. Mm. And I would like to go and actually check out some of the other movies that he's done. Yeah. Um, because, like, I, I see him in this film and I'm like, he he completely embodies, like, everything that that character encapsulates. Like, he's the sort of villainous, vengefulness of the character, but he's also very touching and sweet and kind and altruistic like i was saying he's like it's it's again it's sort of that kind of batman aesthetic if batman is a bit scarier and more charismatic and not just like a stoic quiet sort of guy right um but like because you want to you want to be like that like because he's sort of a great example of that kind of like a dark looking character who might do dark things but is actually like a good person you know like like, like if you see like uh, a heavy metal rock star that happens to look a certain way, donating money at a charity or something, you know, <laughs> like, 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 like someone that like, like not to go with like, like old school, like stereotypes, but like someone that looks sinister, but is mm-hmm. a heart of gold. Yes. And that character, like, that's just a great character. And I mean, obviously this, there was like a whole franchise sort of, sort of spawned from it. There's like... I think there was three sequels. There was a television show. They're making a remake, which they've been trying to make for years. One once with uh, uh, two dudes, Hall of Famer Jason Momoa, mm-hmm. um, and now they're doing it with Bill Skarsgård. Like how how crazy to go from Pennywise to the Crow, <laughs> and he's gonna be Nosferatu. Man, he's got like the the creepy um, <laughs> the the creepy like Monopoly on creepy <laughs> roles, like. Just, let's just call Bill. I think he's got it. Bill's got it. <laughs> Bill's Bill has uh, got it, folks. Folks, um, do you like Cabinet Got Doctor Caligari and the Crow? Um, if we, if if you are a a Brandon Lee fan outside of the Crow, what are some movies you would recommend to Richard? Yes, please. Also for me too, but I know Richard specifically asked. Um, and what is your favorite Ernie Hudson movie that is not <laughs> Ghostbusters? <laughs> If you say this congeniality, I'm going to give you a high five. <laughs> if you say Ghostbusters 2, I am blocking you. <laughs> if you say his bit part in Ghostbusters Afterlife, I'm sorry, we just can't talk anymore. <laughs> uh, if you bring if you bring up uh, his small part in uh, the Ghostbu- Ghostbusters Answer the Call, I'm not answering that call. <laughs> but if it's anything else, it's fine. <laughs> What, basically, what we're trying to say is, is it Congo or is it not? If it's not Congo, I'm sorry. If it's not Congo, we, <laughs> we don't can't, want We can't talk. <laughs> we can't associate with you. Uh, anyway, uh, that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of Two Dudes, One Double Feature. Check us out next week. Have a good night, everyone, and happy Halloween. Thank you all for listening to Two Dudes, One Double Feature. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Special shout-out, as always, to John and Kenny Armstrong. Thank you guys for everything you do. We love you both so much. And, of course, stay tuned for a brand-new episode of Two Dudes, One Double Feature.
Shall we drink to the lady in the white shoes? <laughs>